The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 15th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus called the crowd to him and said to them, Listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. Then he said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. The Gospel of the Lord. <clears throat> My neighbor across the street from me has five boys under the age of nine. I want that to sink in for just a second. She is a single mom with two sets of twins and one boy in the middle. The youngest twins are 18 months old. A few weeks ago, she called me sobbing. Are you home? She cried. Yes, I said, and she hung up. 30 seconds later, I hear a knock at my door. She's standing there with a baby on each hip. She's crying. They're crying. They're literally covered in snot. They're wearing only diapers. She hands them both to me, and without a word, she leaves, sobbing all the way home. I look at Jacob, who has just gotten home from football practice and is horrified by all of this, and I say, something bad just went down across the street. <clears throat> I pull out every trick that I know, but the babies are not having it. It was fine, though. I've been through similar things, and I knew it would be okay. It's just that I wasn't expecting all of this at that exact moment, because it's tomato season, and I was in the middle of canning salsa. But I breathe, and I remember the countless nights canning tomatoes with my crying boys hanging on my legs. <clears throat> Suddenly, Jacob says, hey, you guys want to watch Blippi? I don't know who or what Blippi is, 
but Jake does because he has a little sister. He turns it on, the little boys crawl up on his lap, and peace descends upon our home. The twins do that thing you do when you've been scream-sobbing for a long time where you <laughs> shudder as you inhale. I later learned what these two innocent-looking little boys within minutes of arriving home from daycare had emptied an entire bottle of Italian salad dressing, an entire bottle of vegetable oil, and an entire container of baby powder all over my neighbor's kitchen and living room floors in the amount of time it took her to unload groceries from her car. The next day I asked her why she didn't unload her groceries while they were still buckled safely in the car, and her withering stare told me it was too soon to offer commentary. <laughs> anyway, here's why I share that story. My welcoming those babies into our home was neither a question nor a choice, even if it was unexpected and maybe even a little unwanted. It happened too fast, and even though neither Jake nor I were prepared, there was no choice but to welcome them. In fact, even if I had wanted to, there just wasn't enough time to say, this isn't really a good time for me. They descended on my house like two tiny hurricanes. It's okay. My house has seen hurricanes before, and you know what? Everything was fine. The babies got their fruit snacks and blippy. Mom had quiet time to clean and cry, <laughs> hopefully stopping for the intermittent sip of wine. Welcoming those babies that day was not a choice. I am no hero. I just happened to be home. We're talking today about the word welcome. Some people here have been coming to Gloria Day for decades. Some have never been here before. Some in our next service, I know, will be new and returning college students. Some are members. Some of you might be wondering why you're here, irregardless of whether we've been here forever or only today. Today we celebrate and ponder the word welcome. For starters, we should know that honest welcomes always interrupt the normal business of life. We are never fully prepared for welcomes. We might think, I don't have time for this, or I'm not here for you. But who turns down a sobbing mother of five boys? Even if we have a perfectly staged open house or a welcome event, the real welcomes in life happen unexpectedly, and they are almost always messy. Sometimes they involve snot, they often involve tears, and they rarely come at opportune times. Welcomes take place in the quiet hours when those first wobbly steps of trust are taken. In order to genuinely welcome and be welcomed, both parties must become vulnerable. I remember almost exactly a year ago, as our congregation hastily prepared to welcome the Kolomietz family from Ukraine. We scrambled to raise money, find housing, arrange transportation. I remember going over to their apartment one night in September after work to help get things ready. Even with the air conditioning on, it was hot. I found myself on the kitchen floor in heels, assembling a kitchen table, wondering how I, of all people, got that task. 
When suddenly the Outerson Murphy family entered and darling, darling Catherine ran over to me, pinned me against the wall with a wonderful hug and smeared peanut butter all over my Vera Wang dress. And I thought, well, here we are. Here we are preparing to welcome strangers who would eventually become very, very dear friends. We wanted the welcome to be perfect, but that night, as I sat there assembling a table, swearing, all sweaty and peanut buttery, I thought, this welcome is better than perfect because it's real. Our readings today directly point to the kind of welcome that God is about. Maintain justice and do what's right, God says to the prophet Isaiah, for my salvation will soon come. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, these I will bring to my holy mountain, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Thus says the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, I will gather others to them, besides those who are already gathered. That's a description of God's hospitality, to welcome outcasts and foreigners, as well as those already gathered. This is brilliant, because here God delineates and dismantles structures that humans establish in order to create hierarchy and justify superiority and supremacy. Here in my kingdom, says God, all are welcome. Both those who are established and have their pews and their name tags, as well as those who are not established. Those who are new, maybe scared, maybe suspicious, maybe slightly hungover, maybe homesick, maybe newly separated, maybe newly out, maybe insecure and anxious. Here there are no seniors and juniors, executives and associates, members and visitors, all are equally welcome, says the Lord. Because you see, this welcome that we're talking about today is not we at Gloria Day welcoming you, visitors or students or whatever. It's not an us and you situation. It's about God welcoming us all, both the established and the unestablished. Let me be clear, you're all most welcome here, but it's not Gloria Day's welcome. It's God's welcome to all, and it's not a choice. There's ironic freedom in that. When we realize Christians have no choice but to welcome all, then we're free to have fun and maybe mess up along the way. It means God's welcome does not depend on the best coffee or the best donuts or the color of the carpet or perfect liturgy or perfect preaching because none of it depends on us. It depends on God. Church is not a pageant or performance or a parade. It's real people, worshiping a real God who loves us for who we really are. If we think of this as God's welcome to all instead of my welcome to you, it puts us all on a level playing field because we're all just humans. God's authentic welcome is so much better than human staged performative welcomes. When my sons were tiny, I remember leading worship with a bib velcroed to my robe which I had pulled right out of the dryer before church. No one told me till the end of service. <laughs> I remember leading worship with vomit and drool stains on my shoulders, and no one told me until the end of service. I remember being terrified that my milk would let down if I heard one of my newborn babies cry during church. None of that matters. And yet, all of that matters. 
because God welcomes all of that. Jesus is all about doing away with staged and performative things. He is all about the real welcome. I love today's gospel reading, although I think it's often misunderstood. Jesus speaks to the crowds in a parable, and everyone nods, oh yes, we understand. But Peter, in a very on-brand moment, whispers to Jesus and says, yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. Jesus says, okay, your hand-washing rituals don't matter. Your dietary restrictions don't matter. Don't you see? These things don't matter. I don't care about what passes the mouth and goes into the stomach. What I care about is what comes from the heart and goes out from the mouth, because that is what can destroy. For it's from the human mouth, where humans decide who should love whom, who should live where, who should have what color of skin, who should come from what side of the border, who is deserving and worthy. Those are the things I care about, says Jesus. And here's the interesting thing. Immediately after Jesus explains this, a Canaanite woman, so an outsider by gender and faith, approaches Jesus and implores him to heal her sick daughter. And the disciples beg Jesus to send her away because she keeps yelling at them. So Jesus turns to her and says, I'm sorry, can I help you? This isn't a great time. And by the way, I have not come for you. The woman insists, no, give me something. I beg you for my daughter's sake. Give me crumbs of compassion and I will take them because even dogs receive such compassion. And Jesus says to her, you're right. Be at peace, your daughter is healed. What's funny is scholars often say Jesus insults the Canaanite woman and rejects her and then sees how great her faith is, then changes his mind and heals her daughter. But if we follow that line of logic, then we're suggesting that Jesus kind of verbally abuses this mother before finally saving her daughter. What? Like daddy hitting mommy during dinner and then helping her back into her chair? This is not at all who Jesus is. Unless we're talking about the Pharisees. And then, yes, Jesus verbally abuses them from time to time. But in all fairness, they always start it. And they also possess the necessary rhetorical skills to engage in Jesus' theological banter. And frankly, I find that funny. Jesus will hurl insults at the Pharisees and call them names and laugh as they trudge away, whispering plots to kill him. But this is a mother begging on behalf of her child. Jesus has no problem verbally abusing the Pharisees who feign offense and outrage at everything he says, but Jesus never once does that to the downtrodden. So why would we think he does that here with this woman? She says, I beg you, heal my daughter. He says, I'm sorry, I've not come for you. She says, show me mercy, give me crumbs. And he says, your daughter's healed. There can literally be no clearer example of the contrast between human hospitality and God's hospitality than in this passage. Jesus explains in his parable that God's welcome is never about words of harm that originate in the human heart and come out of the human mouth. And then seconds later, he gives people an example of what this looks like when the woman approaches him. I'm sorry, I cannot help you. I'm not here for you. That's human love. And she persists, and he concludes, of course I will help you. 
It's God's love. In this exchange, Jesus makes it very clear. This is how humans welcome. I'm not here for you. This is how God welcomes. Your daughter's healed. In reality, we all know what it's like to be that woman, to be squirming on the hook, begging for acceptance, approval, affirmation, acknowledgement, healing, and love. At some point, we've all been on the receiving, maybe even the giving end of words that destroy and defile. But this is all conditional human welcome based on gender, sexual orientation, race, socioeconomic class. Human welcomes sound like this. We welcome you as long as you agree to the following terms and conditions. We prefer that you are a wealthy white male. We will tolerate white women and children as long as they stay in their place. Everything else we will filter out, hiding behind whichever constitutional amendment is most convenient. But there are no such terms and conditions with God's hospitality. When God says all are welcome, God means it, and God's word is irrevocable. There are times in scripture when God changes God's mind, but it's never to harm or compromise the vulnerable or oppressed. I can only imagine Jesus' frustration as a teacher and a rabbi when he clearly teaches a parable and then moments later models it and no one gets it, kind of like being a parent. Simply put, if there are any stipulations or conditions to a welcome, it is not Christian. Resorting to the simplest illustrations, here's how humans welcome. Here's how God welcomes. Be like this. My oldest son, Christian, is starting his sophomore year at Luther. The cross-country team, as we speak, is currently en route back to Decorah after having spent a week running in the high altitudes of Estes Park in Colorado. Last year at this time, he was scared and sad and anxious about his transition to college. He cried, I cried. Transitions are scary. This year, however, before he left for Colorado, he didn't cry. I did, of course. He said, we have 13 incoming freshman runners. I've memorized all their names, and I'm going to connect with all of them because I know exactly how they feel. And while I would never compare any of my sons to Jesus, especially this week, which has been a circus of losing wallets and phones and keys, all of which has left me extremely unimpressed, I nonetheless commend Christian for knowing how to welcome. No terms, no conditions. It means confessing, I know what it's like to be on the outside. Now let me welcome you in, because that's what God does, and God welcomes us all. Here there are no insiders or outsiders, no we or you, no superior or inferior. There are only broken people and God. There are only beggars and God. And God welcomes all and bids us to do the same. And so we do. Jesus models radical welcome in his life as he seeks out the company of tax collectors and prostitutes and the mentally tormented and the physically diseased. And he embodies ultimate radical welcome by dying for all, opening the kingdom of God to humans who don't understand it, who don't think they deserve it, and who don't necessarily even want it. Welcoming is rarely pretty or perfect. Jesus' welcome is stained with tears and sweat and blood, but we do it. 
Not me welcoming you, but God welcoming us. My neighbor gave me no choice. When she came over, she thrust her children at me. God thrusts the privilege and honor of kingdom welcome onto us. When Jesus dies, he opens his arms to all. And we are but an extension of that, both in duty and in pleasure. Amen.